church. And we are kicking off a new series today. It's called Devoted. And we're coming off our our two-week vision series where we talked about where God has us and where we're going as a church. And we shared some details with you about that and things to be praying for and honestly things to be giving for. And so if you missed the last two weeks, you're going to want to go on the website, listen to the two sermons. There's a blog that has all the details there. There's handouts that say Love Moves on them in the back at the Connect desk and on those little tables. If you didn't get one of those, grab one. And we would invite you to respond. Just straight ahead, we would invite you to pray and respond that you would give. And so if you think about a spectrum of giving, that if you have not giving over here, that if you have occasional giving and then consistent giving and then generous giving, that wherever you are along that spectrum, that you would take one step. Does that make sense? That in response to this vision that what God has for us, what he could do through us, that you would just take one step on that spectrum as a family, as friends, as roommates, that you would take one step so that we can see Phoenix Bible Church take our next step, so that we can see a church that doesn't just exist for us, but that makes an impact in the world around us. I was talking with a group of people this week in our church, and just we were talking about and excited about all that God has done up until this point. If you're new, we're about a year and a half old as a church, and we had a unique start, and God's done a ton, and we talked about that and reflected on that, but we also imagined what could God do in the future if we didn't just exist but made an impact? Like, what could God do? Like, imagine, just imagine right where you are, what could God do? Well, you need to know a few things. None of this will happen because of some cute programs or cutting-edge methods or, or creative plans. That none of this is going to happen because of that. It will happen only by radical dependence upon God. That whatever we want to see in our church, whatever you want to see in your life, that the only way any of that happens is a radical dependence on God. And so as we think through the year and pray through the year and plan it out, I thought, we have this vision series, what needs to come after that? And this word devoted kept coming to mind. Devoted. You see it in the early church, Acts 1 and 2. Acts 1, you see Jesus ascend into heaven and send his followers out on a mission. And what's the first thing they do in Acts 1? In verses 14 and 15, it says, they all devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2, Peter goes on to to preach, and 3,000 people respond, and they get saved, and you have the formation of the early church. And what's the first thing they do in Acts 2? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so if we want to see God do great things in and through us, we need to devote ourselves to him. And the first way we're going to do that is through prayer. Now, what's interesting is you look at the studies and stats, Pew Research did one in 2014 that said about uh, 55% of Americans say they pray every day. It was kind of surprising. 55% of Americans say they pray every day. So the idea of prayer in general is somewhat popular, at least conceptually, right? Even on the news, when bad things happen, what do they say? Our thoughts and prayers are with you. You have friends, maybe that don't even know Jesus, and they say things to you like, hey, I'll be praying for you. We say that as a church. You even see it in our music. You think about M.C. Hammer, the great theologian. He said, you got to pray just to make it today, right? 
And some of you are thinking, well, that was back in the day. Like, nobody mentions things like prayer in our current music today, like the hipster culture, the millennial culture. Nobody talks about prayer in our culture today, do they, Tim? Justin Bieber would say they do. In his hit song, actually entitled Pray, he says this, and I quote, But I know there's sunshine beyond that rain. I know there's good times beyond that pain. I close my eyes and I can see a better day. Can you see it? I close my eyes and pray. Now, I just want to make clear a little disclaimer. I don't listen to Justin Bieber. This was purely sermon research. Uh, Now we can move on. But my point of all that is this. I don't doubt that we pray as a church. I don't doubt that you pray. I don't doubt that we even pray as a culture. But what I do wonder sometimes is about the components of our prayer about who our prayers are addressed to, about the heart behind our prayers. And it was the same in Jesus' day. As we read that passage just a few moments ago, Jesus acknowledges that people pray. He says, when you pray. He talks about some people who pray. So it was the same in Jesus' day. People prayed, but Jesus wanted to emphasize a few things about how they prayed, about why they prayed, about who they were praying to. And so we want to today learn from what Jesus emphasized about prayer. How can we be devoted in our prayer lives? And the first thing that we see is we should be sincere. Matthew 6, 5, look at the verse. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Why? How do they pray? It says only when they had an audience. They prayed in the synagogues. They prayed at the street corners where they knew they would be seen by people. Did they do that to encourage, to edify others around them with their prayers? No. It says they merely wanted to be seen. And Jesus is saying, if you pray for the approval of others, the applause of others, that's all you're going to get out of prayer. He says, that's your reward. If you pray just for the applause, just for the approval, that will be the extent of your prayers. And in verse 6, he contrasts that selfish prayer with sincere prayer. He says, you can pray in your room because it's not about other people seeing you. It's not about impressing others, that it is a conversation with God, that he hears you and rewards you even in a quiet place. He's saying, you don't need an audience. You have an audience of one. And listen, he's the most important audience because he's the one who can actually respond to your prayers. So prayer is not about impressing others, but it's also not about impressing God. Look at verse 7. He says this, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You see, for many of us, there's a lot of pressure to pray a certain way, to use certain words. And we actually have a video that depicts that. We'll show it to you now. Oh, Dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, O sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laying at our table this day and each day by day 
day by day by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> well, amen, Ben Stiller, amen. My favorite part of that is the looks that people give while he's praying. Like, are you sure you want to be talking like this? But uh, we all laugh at that, right? But how many of us do similar things? Like, how many times have you gotten done praying and you thought, what did I just say? Like, a few isms and ologies came out of my mouth. I'm not sure I've ever said that before. I don't even know what they mean. And we try to impress God or others in prayer. And it was the same in Jesus' day. People would throw up empty phrases, as Jesus says. Literally, in the original language, that phrase, empty phrases, means to babble. That people would do chants and they would say repetitive sayings, oftentimes in public, hoping that they could somehow manipulate a deity. That they would have been scared of deities and they thought, well, if we can just say all the right things and chant long enough and, and be eloquent enough, that God will respond. And Jesus is saying, is, God is not a puppet on a string. That you don't manipulate God. Like, don't do that. But it's not about the form of your prayer, it's about the function of your prayer. And so it's not about rambling on to crack some code. And he says in verse 8, it's because your father already knows your needs. You can't fool God. You see, some of you, when you think about prayer, you say, I'm not religious. I mean, I don't know the rules. I wouldn't even know where to start. And so maybe you won't pray, even privately. You need to know that it's not about eloquent words. It's not about saying the right things. It's about your heart. It's about the motive of your heart. And Jesus is getting to that in this passage. There's a freedom that we have in prayer. There's no one to impress. There's nothing to prove. And there's tons of examples of this in the Bible. We don't have time to go look at them all, but you go read them. The prayers of Abraham, the prayers of Job, the prayers of David, the same thing that you see throughout all those prayers, while different, they have the same thing of they're honest. They're honest. They're almost too honest sometimes, right? You read some of the Psalms, and you're like, David, I don't know if you should say that to God. That's a little extreme, but you see they're honest. They're sincere prayers. And so as we are devoted in prayer as people and as a church, we want to be sincere. We don't worry about the, the word so much, the form so much. We worry about the function. Are we communing with our Heavenly Father? So the first thing you see is we should be sincere in our prayer. The second thing you see is surrender. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, pray like this. And so you notice you don't have to pray that literally this specific prayer. While some of you may have, some of you may grew up, praying this prayer in a class or in something else where you prayed this exact prayer. Jesus is saying, pray like this. So he's giving us a model of how we should pray. And Jesus can uniquely speak to this, right? Have you thought about this? Jesus is the only one who's been on both sides of the coin. Jesus, over and over in the Gospels, prays to the Father, but he's also God in the flesh. So he responds to people who 
pray. And so Jesus is telling us, this is how you should pray. And in verse 9, he says, we pray to God as Father. Specifically, he says, our Father. So prayer is personal, but it's also communal. Just, just so you know, that's when we prayed for the Wagners. That's why a group prays every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. before church. That's why we're going to have a a night of prayer and worship on May 11th, because there's something special, powerful that happens when God's people collectively say, Our Father, that it is personal, but it is also communal. And there's something powerful as well as when we pray to God specifically as, as Father. You see, what's interesting about God is that he could have chosen any imagery to represent himself. But what you see over and over in the Bible is he refers to himself as Father. And he does so here. He wants wants us to talk to him as Father, that it's very personal. And then he says, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. So Jesus says when you're praying, you're talking to a God who is a good Father. He's holy, and he's your Father. He's a good Father. Here's what that means. There's tons of things that means. There's tons of implications for that. I just want to give you three. The first one is that he protects. As a good father, he protects us. Later in Matthew 6, he watches out for the birds and lilies. How much more will he watch out for you and I? The second thing is he listens. Psalm 34 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. And some of you say, well, I'm not righteous. But 2 Corinthians 5 says, when you trust in Jesus, he takes your sin, he gives you his righteousness. It's the great exchange. And now you're embedded in, saturated in the righteousness of Christ. And so whatever's going on in your life, you can go to him and know that he listens. He hears your cry. And he doesn't just listen like he's taking notes for research purposes. No, he cares, right? He responds. I think of Hannah in the Old Testament. She was a lady in the book of 1 Samuel. You can read about her. And she couldn't have kids. And just like today, if if you're a woman in here, if you couldn't have kids, it's a big deal. And it talks about in 1 Samuel that, that Hannah was filled with grief. But in the midst of her grief, she prayed. And that she prayed a really long time. In fact, some people came around her and they thought she was drunk. Because she was praying so long. And she said, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my soul to my father. And if you read that story, what you see happen a little bit later, and you may miss it, is it says God remembered her. It says God remembered Hannah. He remembered her prayer. And what what he's saying, that's a, a short sentence with a lot of impact. What he's saying is that God listened to her prayer, that he responds, that he cares, he remembers your prayers. And he's not just taking notes like, mm-hmm, oh, that's good, mm-hmm. No, he cares. It's a personal thing. And so as you go on to read that story, what you see happen is Hannah does have a child. His name is Samuel, and he goes on to affect kings and nations. The God protects, he listens, he responds to our prayers because he's a good father. And so if that's true, why do so many of us have a hard time surrendering to God? 
Maybe that's you this morning. Why do you have such a hard time surrendering your whole life, your whole self to God? If he is a good father, why do we struggle with that? I think for most of us, it's because we don't believe one of those things. We're not sure that God is good. We're not sure that he protects us. We're not quite sure if he even listens or if he's even there to begin with. And so we struggle with surrendering to God. And so I want to do something. I think it may illustrate this and help us understanding God as our father. And so I'm going to invite a couple uh, kids on stage. And they're kind of special kids. They're my kids. And so kids, would you guys come on stage real quick? Don't be shy now. You've been talking about this all morning. It's go time. All right, would you guys give it up for my kids, encourage them? Thank you. Thank you, Neela. Ashwin, you coming, buddy? You got your crayon? Okay, good job. All right, so these are my kids, Neela and Ashwin, six years old and three-year-old. Come stand over here just a little bit. There you go. And so they got crayons. You got crayons when you walked in, right? There we go, evidence. And so I want to ask you guys, can you just give me your crayons? Would you give them to me? That went better than I thought. Okay, so I I have their crayons. Now, imagine if they didn't give them to me. And that's happened, theoretically, uh, it's happened before. I've asked for things, my kids don't give them to me. Imagine if they didn't give them to me, why wouldn't they have done so? Maybe they would wonder, like, what am I going to do with the crayons? Like, are they going to get them back, right? What's going to happen with the crayons? If they give them to me, will they get them back? What will I do with them? Now, there is a chance that if I looked at these crayons closely and maybe there was a nail in a crayon, or maybe they weren't made with organic ingredients. I don't even know if that's a thing, but just what if there was something off with the crayons and I said, you know, I don't want to give these back to you because they're going to harm you, and instead I I threw the, the crayons away. What would happen? There would be a lot of tears, right? You guys wouldn't be so happy with Daddy if I didn't give you back your crayons. But I would know better than they would as their father, and so I wouldn't want to give them crayons with a nail in them or crayons that aren't organic. Who would do that as a father, right? And so there's a chance I may not give them back if it was going to harm them because I want to protect my kids. But most likely, I'm going to give them back eventually, but for now, I'm going to just put them in my pocket. Because as responsible as my kids are, I mean, just look at them. Do they look responsible? There's a chance, there's a chance, right, that the crayons may not even make it to the car after this. There's a chance, at least a chance, that the crayons break or we lose them. But dad's got the crayons in his pocket. They're not going anywhere. And later, guys, I'm going to let you have the crayons back. You're going to color with them. You're going to have a lot of fun with them. It's going to be a great time. They're wondering if that's actually going to happen because I'm their father, right? I'm going to protect them. I'm going to care for them and I'm going to respond to them, right? And so I'm going to give you guys back your crayons. Good job. Good job. Love you guys. Can you give it up for my kids? Thank you. Good job, guys. I think Ashlyn wanted to stay for the rest of the time. I thought that might happen too. Hey, what's the point of all that? What's what's the point of all that? Listen, God is a way better father than I am. 
God is a way better father than I am. That he protects, that he listens, that he cares, that he responds, that he's a good father. And Jesus is saying, that's who you're praying to. And so many of you have conceptions about God and misconceptions about who God is. And when you pray to God or when you don't pray to God, you're, you're imagining someone up there and you need to know the way Jesus describes God is he's a good father. That's who you're invited to pray to, that we can be confident that he will respond, he will care for us, and he listens when we pray. And some of you are thinking, but what about the bad things that happen? I mean, I've surrendered some things in prayer to God, but they didn't go so well. My job, my marriage, my kids, my finances, my relationships. And you're thinking, I I prayed about those things, Tim, and nothing happened. Nothing good happened. If God's a good father, why is that? And listen, it's just like if those crayons had nails Maybe they didn't see them, but as their father, I did. I don't want to give those back to them. And so, listen, there's some things in your life that you want, that you're desperate for, that you're committed to, and could it be that maybe that's not what's best for you in the eyes of your father? Could it be that he sees some things that you don't see? That he knows some things that you don't know because he's God. He's your father. And so he may not give that back to you. He may not fix it right away on your timeline. But we trust that he's a good father. That's what it means to surrender to God. That it's not just when everything goes okay that we say, God, you're good. I love you. I praise you. We sing to you. No, it's during the middle of the week when you're not sure if he's there. When you're doubting in that relationship. When you're in sickness. When you're in strife. When others around you are and God doesn't seem to be doing anything, that's when you trust that God is a good father. That's when you lean into that truth. It's a promise to you. And so God is a good father who listens, who cares, who responds. We can go to him when you pray. And when you begin to trust God's character like that, you can surrender to his plan. Look at verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done then we understand the character of God, he's a good father, that we begin to ask him to do what he wants to do in our lives instead of giving him instructions for what we want to happen. That prayer is less about saying, Lord, I want you to do this, and more about saying, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. That we want to surrender to God in our prayer, and there's power in this. Maybe some of you are new to church or not a Christian, and you think, well, that sounds like a crutch, Tim. I mean, that sounds weakness, like weakness. You need to know there's there's power that's made perfect in our weakness. Charles Spurgeon said this about prayer. He said, my own soul's conviction is that prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe. Spouse, parent, friend, Church, are we tapping into that power? Are we surrendering ourselves to a a good father? That's what a devoted prayer life would look like. The third thing we see is supplication. Matthew 6, verse 11, look at the verse. He says, give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Supplication is giving God requests. And you see two categories in in these two verses. You see physical needs and you see spiritual needs. Physical needs are daily bread. Spiritual needs, forgiveness and protection from evil and sin. And so what are your needs that you need to be praying for? If somebody asked you, how can I pray for you? What would you say? Would you just say, my aunt who is sick? Not that that's bad. Would that be the only thing that would come to your mind? Or would you think about some physical needs? Would you think about some spiritual needs like boldness, like leadership, like forgiveness, like healing, like peace, like insecurity? Would you think about those things? When you think about what to pray for, do you know what you need? You know, you can ask God those questions. You can ask God, like, God, what do I need right now? I want you to tell me. I want to listen to you. I want to listen to others. Like, I have blind spots. God, what do I need? What are my physical needs? What are my spiritual needs? So that when people say, how can I pray for you? We actually have something to offer. There's something that can be prayed over because there's power in prayer and there's power in supplication. In our own lives, my daughter who was just up here six months ago, we found out she has asthma. And so we worry about this a lot. We talk to the doctor about this a lot. We talk to one another about this a lot. We try home remedies a lot. And we just got convicted a while back that we don't pray a lot about this. That we talk to each other about this, but we don't talk to God. Like he's not there. Like we just have this conversation, this private conversation, and God's somewhere off doing his own thing, and he doesn't care about the asthma, and he doesn't know about the asthma. And we just talk about And with ourselves, we talk about it with a doctor, and we miss talking about the one, talking to the one who can actually do something about it. So we pray for physical needs. I pray for spiritual needs in my own life and in our church. People come to me and they ask for prayer. And just so you know, I pray for you. On our Connect card, we have a place for prayer requests. If you fill it out, I I pray for you. When I text you and tell you I'm praying for you, that's not cliche. I actually prayed for you. Because we want to lift up in supplication needs, physical, spiritual, to God because he moves and responds in prayer. So as you think about prayer, don't just talk to each other. Talk to God like he's actually there because he is. So give your needs to God in prayer. How do we live this out? Just a few things practically. The first one is that we want to have the right heart over the right words. Listen, in your prayer life, don't worry so much about eloquent words. Don't worry so much about form. Worry about the function. Worry about where your heart is. And listen, this is a convicting question. But what do your current prayer lives communicate about your heart? Like what you pray, the content of your prayer, your prayer life, what does it communicate about your heart? Like if you just assess that, does it say that you're self-focused or kingdom-focused? Would you see yourself as about worldly needs or eternal needs? What does your prayer life say about your heart? Are you self-centered or are you God-centered? Are you self-reliant or are you lifting up your needs to God for him to move? The second thing, we want to have scheduled and spontaneous prayer. 
Prayer is like exercise. We often know how it works, but we put it off, don't we? We know that it will work if we do it, but we put it off. And so it's like when you're in the recliner and you say something like, I need to work out. And instead of dropping down and doing some push-ups, you just stay in the recliner. And you know it would work, you know it would help if you actually worked out, but you you don't move. How many times in your life a need comes up and you think, I should pray about that? How many times for you this morning are you thinking, I need to pray more? Listen, don't think about it. Don't think one day. Schedule it. Make it a priority in your life. Just like you would with working out, just like you would with finances, just like you would with work. Schedule your prayer life. It is that important. And that you would also have spontaneous times of prayer. There's been some things that have come up in our lives lately, some things, um, just even a friend of my daughter has this really rare brain cancer. He's in her class at school, and he's seven years old, and he has a cancerous tumor on his brain stem. And the kid just started having headaches. And now he's in the hospital going through radiation, and it's inoperable. And listen, on the way home from school, we talk about that. Jay and I talk about that, and we're like, that is crazy. That's insane. Like, imagine what that would be like for those parents. And we try to help in different ways, but we talk a lot about it. But listen, recently we've started just to say, in that moment, that is really, really hard. That is really devastating. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus, would you just take this tumor away from Hollis? In the name of Jesus, like, would you comfort this family in need? And we just pray. There's just little spontaneous prayers, like, we'll be in the car. Because we want to teach our kids, we want to teach ourselves that we can go to God at any time, at any moment, for anything. That you would, in your life, have scheduled and spontaneous prayer. That we would lift things up to God. And the last thing is that you would start somewhere. Some of you are hiding, thinking God doesn't know everything you need. He does. Some of you are hiding and withholding sin in your life. Some of you are withholding and holding on to your relationships, your job, your finances. You need to start somewhere. Some of you are holding on to doubt and frustration about what God hasn't done. Listen, you can tell him that. You can start there. You can start in your doubt. You can start with your frustration. Read the prayers in the Bible. A lot of people did that. God already knows, and he's going to listen, and he's going to respond to you. Start somewhere in your prayer life. Martin Luther said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. There's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with methods. There's nothing wrong with programs for us as a church, but you need to know the only way God will do anything in and through and around us is through prayer. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God fills people, not plans. He fills people. He, he cho- chooses to work through the prayers of people. Will we participate in that? You know, I think about the start of our church. Phoenix Bible Church exists because of the power of prayer. The week before our first Sunday as a church, in early October of 2014, there was a group of us that gathered to pray. That was the week right before we met as our first Sunday as a church, and we gathered to pray. And I remember thinking that night, even while we were praying, I'm not sure that this could even happen. 
Like we were about to start our first Sunday, but I was like, you know, I'm not sure that this can happen. There were some obstacles in place. There was financial obstacles. We didn't have hardly any money. There was meeting location obstacles. We met at this church, Grace Lutheran Church, at about the time that most people were getting ready for bed. There was relational obstacles. People had known me for about three months. And in that moment, even as we prayed, I wasn't sure if this could happen. Peek behind the curtain. I wasn't sure. I didn't know. Like, could we overcome all these obstacles? Could God rise up a new church in the city? Could God sustain a new church? Could God overcome all these obstacles? But listen, a group of us gathered and we cried out in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our desperation, and we asked him to. And over a year and a half later, we're here. God did rise up a new church. He did overcome all of those obstacles, and he did it through the prayers of his people. Listen, imagine what God would do if we were devoted in our prayer lives, if we were sincere, if we surrendered our whole selves to God, if we asked God for things in supplication, if we were devoted to that. Imagine what God would do in your life. Some of you are struggling right now. Are you praying about that? And that's not just some cliche statement like, do-do-do-do-do, like, no, are you, are you praying about that? Are you trusting God with those needs in your life? Are you trusting God with your spouse? Are you asking God to move in your relationships, in your finances, in your job? Are you praying? Are you devoted to prayer? Imagine what God would do if you were. Imagine what God would do with our church in this next season if we were collectively You know what will happen if we don't do that? If we're not devoted in prayer? You know what will happen? Nothing. Nothing. Maybe we'll exist if God allows it. But I guarantee you, he won't move. He won't move in you. He won't move through you if we will not devote ourselves in prayer. But if we would, Imagine what God would do in your family, in your life, in our church, in this city, if we would devote ourselves to prayer. We have a good father who listens and who responds. We need to practice that, and so we're going to pray now. Let's do that together. Father in heaven, I pray for these men and women. I pray that they would pray even now knowing that, God, you are in our midst. This isn't just a a good transitional thing to do before we sing. God, we believe your presence is here with us, and we, we access that now as we pray. So, God, I pray that as we leave today, we would, we would actually put this in practice. We would encounter your presence. You're already there. Help us to be aware of that fact. Help us to do that with our kids, with our friends, with our roommates. And not act as if you're not present. But trust that you are here and we can talk to you in prayer. Help us to do that. God, we need your help in a desperate way. We ask for you to move in our lives and in our church through powerful, devoted prayer. God, help us. It's in the name of Jesus I pray that. Amen.